boat and come to Australia. Good morning and welcome to episode 250 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. 250 actually seems like it, in our uh, in our tens obsessed culture, 250 seems like it should be a bigger deal than 300. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I mean, yes, 300 is, is, a, is a century mark, but it's not a... You know, I mean, a thousand is such a big thing. So to get to, you know, a significant milestone on the way to a thousand seems pretty big. Should, so who's our who's be. our big guest host? <laughs> uh, our big our big guest star for uh, episode two fifty. The listeners are, in a way. Yeah, that's We're right. Because email, email Wednesday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. So do you have anything you need to banter about, or can we just? <laughs> no, I think I'm good. We can just start. Okay. I have a quick banter. Okay. Cole, uh, Cole Calhoun, who's like a kind of Angels fifth outfielder organizational kind of guy, mm-hmm. um, hit three home runs in Salt Lake. And I'm just now reading this quote from him. It's a pretty cool accomplishment, but not something I'm going to live the rest of my life by. It was a lucky night. <laughs> and I love player quotes that are the sort of quotes where I would feel like a jerk saying them, but um, they say them. Uh-huh. And so like that's I think it's it's good when you a player acknowledges that having three things bunch up on one night as opposed to, you know, over the course of four days is not inherently better. It's kind of fluky, and it doesn't make you less of a person to note that. Um, You don't hear that often with home runs. You might hear it with a guy who goes five for five or something and has a couple bloopers, but you don't generally hear that home runs are luck, but in a way they kind of are. I mean, not just that they're bunched together, but you have to... And we don't know what the home runs were like, whether they were just over the wall or anything. But you have to get good pitches or have a pitcher make a mistake, maybe. Or, you know, things have to happen in such a way that you can do that. So there's there's some luck involved. Do you remember that uh, unfiltered I did after Josh Hamilton hit four home runs in a game? And so I looked at uh, all the players in history who have had four home runs in a game and all the players in history who have had six strikeouts in a game. Uh-huh. And oh, in, the yes. ne- uh-huh. in their in their next game, the six strikeout guys were better than the four home run guys. Yep. yep. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is kind of, uh, you know, ra- somewhat, somewhat random events uh, occur in seemingly non-random ways. But uh, anyway, I, congratulations to Cole Calhoun. Good guy. And uh, I'm glad he hit three home runs, and I'm glad he has a good perspective on it. So what's your – wait, no. <laughs> That's not what we're doing today. <laughs> uh, tell me about the emails. Uh, you want me to read them? Oh. I'm not prepared to read them. I could. I, I can, We can split them or something. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll read one, and then you can read one, and then okay. I'll read one, and then you can read one. So Joe, uh, first-time emailer, by the way, Joe, mm-hmm. uh, asks um, – for a sport as obsessed with stats as baseball, why don't we use the tools that uh, predict the performance of the players to evaluate the people who attempt to predict that performance or rate farm systems? No one would expect an extremely high success rate, but it would be nice to know average performance. What he's asking is, do we measure the measurers? Is anybody uh, rating the raters, the prospect raters? Uh, and if not, why not? Shouldn't I mean, if we're treating this data as information that we use and I, I think it's I think it really is the case that prospect rankings um, are maybe more than almost maybe more than any baseball writing although I'm not sure about this probably actually drive 
baseball personnel decisions. I, I, I don't think it, they drive them a great deal, but I think conventional wisdom in these prospect ratings does seep into front offices and into uh, executives' mindsets and into, you know, you at, at the very least, even if you think that a player is better than the prospect rankings say he is, by uh, noting the conventional wisdom, you know what his perceived value is elsewhere. You might know, you know, whether it's a good time to move him or not. And I don't get the feeling that anybody, no offense, Ben, but I don't get the feeling anybody's reading your articles to try to find out, like, whether the conventional wisdom on Derek Lowe uh, is is high or low. I hope uh, but I do think that it probably is, at least to some degree, the case for prospect rankings. So why don't we have a kind of... Uh, meta-analysis of prospect rankings do you suppose should we and how would how would you do it uh so would it just be i mean would it would it be to evaluate how accurate a specific prospect ranker is or would it just be to kind of establish uh just in general how how accurate or predictive they are because so so i'm gonna go with the premise that it's to uh to compare the raiders to find out which raiders are the best because there actually is analysis done of the rankings i've done Mm -hmm. some and other people have done some to look for trends in prospect development and player development uh and you know positional uh you know sort of like comparing positions and that sort of thing so there is definitely meta-analysis going on but I'm thinking specifically about grading the the rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's tough to do, I guess. I mean, you have to first of all, how many, how many, you know, there are maybe a handful of people you could do this with, right? Um, people who have been doing this long enough and and actually talk to people within the game uh, that you could have the kind of sample and and confidence to evaluate them. Um, you know, cause like, I mean, you could, you couldn't do it with say Jason parks, right? Because he's, he's been doing this for a year, right? He's, he's done the official BP prospect rankings for one year. Uh, so you would right, have to wait, a- you'd have to wait, you know, who, who knows how long you'd have to wait several years maybe to, to see any kind of difference between people. Um, well, and even if, I mean, I, I would be, I mean, even you're, you're sort of alluding to the sample size issue of mm-hmm. rating him based on one year, but I mean, his, you can't evaluate his rankings this year, uh, for 10 years because mm-hmm. you don't know. I mean, you know, especially with parks, half these guys are 11 <laughs> <laughs> right now. So how do you, you know, how do you even evaluate whether he, he nailed some particular prepubescent flamethrower? Uh, correctly at, at this point I mean you you know it, it's gonna take I mean at the very least you would want to know well I don't even know I mean it's hard to I mean I'm total. I've just completely stolen your uh, you were speaking and now you're not <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's tricky I mean there's all sorts of definition problems you could look at first six years uh, because that's what um, you know that's all the club controls but on the other hand uh, the first six years are going to be staggered differently for players who develop differently. And so, uh, you know, it, it, some guys don't have their first six years until they're 25 to 31 because they did poorly, and yet those are their peak years. And so uh, there's that as an issue, mm-hmm. uh, for instance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, it's really hard to define a lot of a lot of these things. Yeah, or, I mean, like Baseball America's lists are... Uh, they're just kind of an amalgamation. I mean, 
there's no one person's name on them, I don't think. It's just kind of a staff thing, and the staff is always changing. Uh, and then you'd, you'd kind of have to define what a what a success is. Is it is it people who make the majors, like just the most prospects who get there? Or are, do you only care about kind of the guys at the top of the list who these people say are really impact players? Do they actually become impact players? Or do you just kind of add up the the amount of, you know, the number of wins that are produced by everyone on the top 100 list and, and give it to the person who has the most. I, I, I and do to... you, yeah. Do you, do you put extra weight for those who perform, who produce early when they're cheap yeah. and, or do you, you know, does it not matter? Do you just look at career? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, do you, how do you handle negative war? Because uh, pl- like, you know, you noted that maybe getting to the majors is a success, but you know, a lot of players make it to the majors and are, uh, are negative uh, you know, wins above replacement. So do you dock them for that or do you treat them as zeros? I mean, it's, you, you have to, you would have to, I mean, none of these things are deal breakers, right? You just, you just choose and you Mm -hmm. just state up front how you're doing it. And then somebody can rank the rankings of the rankings based on your definitions. If, if, if we get to that point. Uh, but I mean, I think that there's, I think that there's, uh, there's promise behind the idea. I think the biggest issue, uh, which is the, first thing you said is that essentially you've got baseball america has been doing this for 20 plus years and nobody else has i mean you sickles you could go, sickles maybe sickles has been like probably what 12 ish or so and so you could you know you could yeah. but sickles i mean sickles i think would acknowledge that he's changed i mean his philosophy has changed his methodology has changed mm-hmm. a great deal so you wouldn't necessarily i don't i don't know this i don't know sickles i don't i don't know him but my guess is that uh, you know, he would consider himself, uh, you know, like, like he wouldn't necessarily lump 2012 sickles and 2003 sickles in the same yeah. sample. Right. You should be getting better at this, ideally. If you're, you know, if you're putting the work in and learning from people, you should be but, better but, at it now than you But used how to be. do you know? If you're <laughs> right, right. measuring it, how do you yeah, know? I mean, it, it would benefit. I, I, I think another thing is that, um, uh, like, I don't know, a lot of the people who have maybe the time to do this sort of thing, like you or me, probably don't really necessarily have the inclination to yeah, go like, right. to, to go saying like, hey, six of these guys suck. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. And yeah, we're kind of cowardly. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, there is, I, I'm not the first to note that there is a, um, there is a, a little, I, I don't know, I guess there's a little bit of uh some sort of social pressure within the, the 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 blogosphere or whatever, and so your um, the incentives go down somewhat based on that. I mean, I, I would if I had a good way to do it, I'd do it. I wouldn't feel bad doing that, uh, but you'd really want to have an airtight methodology, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before it's... you start bad mouthing people whose career is to put more work into their work than you do yours. Yeah, it's a worthwhile endeavor and goal uh i mean there's no reason why we should necessarily take every prospect ranker at at their word that they're good at this that they know something about prospects that other people don't so um so yeah i mean it 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 makes sense if you could figure out some way to do it but it's it's tough i vaguely recall that we did it uh just comparing uh ourselves in the like pakoda days um back before goldstein um, yeah, right. It, like compared to Baseball America or something. Or, yeah, yeah. I, I felt like there was some self-reflection there. I don't remember what the results. There might were. have been the way that it's it usually seems to go is that 
a, like prospect rankers get tied to the players that they differ on from everyone else. It yeah, seems like so, so if you and right. and exactly right. So yeah, if you if you make some call that is kind of an outlier, you rank someone high who is not ranked high on on the other person's list, then your reputation is at stake, and people will either remember, maybe they might not remember, but they might remember that that you were either very right about that or very wrong about that, and that will follow you around. So, uh, so that's kind of how it's how it's done now, I guess, which is not really a great way to do it but yeah i can yeah i compared i compared our rankings to baseball americas from like 2004 to 2007 or something once just for fun uh, on a lark and it wasn't very rigorous or anything like that and you know nothing nothing particularly interesting emerged so that might be another reason Mm -hmm. that these don't get done might be that they hew fairly closely to each other i mean especially if you're just looking at top hundreds you know like 80 of the top hundreds are going to be the same from and, source to source a yeah. lot of times. And you'd think that uh, the sources that all this is coming from, you'd think there has to be a, a lot of overlap, right? Oh, because, tons, right? Right, because, I mean, the people who are in the game and are willing to talk to prospect writers are going to be the same sort of people. Uh, and you'll come across them at the same events, and they will open up to the same people. So uh, to some extent, there's got to be a lot of cross-pollination of sources there and information. Yeah, well, that's kind of the point, too, is that this is what what these things capture is essentially conventional wisdom. And the conventional wisdom is basically, you know, the it's uh, they're they're capturing the same thing. I mean, there's nuance. And like what I think what we do is really interesting because uh, our prospect guys do a lot of, you know, like scouting on their own. Like it's a it's a very uh, experience or experiential approach. But yes. I mean, that's essentially what the goal is, is not to like rewrite or to like tell the clubs themselves who's good and who's not. It's essentially to capture this really valuable thing, which is the wisdom of the major league baseball crowd. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of overlap. Uh, and the scouts are probably, uh, themselves sharing a lot of the same information with each other. I mean, they're, they're guiding each other toward the conventional wisdom when they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. All right. uh, Next question comes from Andrew. Another topic for a slow day that we were discussing here in my office. What if baseball didn't have rain delays? It was like football and just played through the rain. How would that change the game? Would there be guys who were rain specialists, especially with pitchers and fielders who specialized in fielding and throwing a wet baseball? Would it benefit the hitters because defenders would move much more slowly to prevent themselves from slipping and injuring themselves, leading to more balls dropping in, etc.? Huh. Um, well, so my guess is that there wouldn't be specialists. Like, I think that there would be a lot of narratives that would develop out of this. I mean, with football players, you often hear about, you know, like Favre, for instance, you know, having never lost, I'm totally making this up, but like having never lost, you know, in an under 35 degree game or whatever. Uh Um, and so my guess is that, you know, the first pitcher who won two games in a row in the rain would be known as a rain pitcher. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to imagine what this I mean, it's it's easy to imagine that maybe some specialty would emerge, but it's hard to know what that would be. But <clears throat> to, to kind of maybe answer the, the premise, uh, which I love, by the way, and I, I think this is a great question and it's wonderful. But um, the thing about baseball that makes it different than almost any other sport is that um, if uh, if an accident happens, you could die. And um, so, like football, 
you know, it gets rainy, it gets sloppy, maybe people are tearing their ACLs, but ACLs aren't that important. They're important to the sport and they're important to business, but like, you know, nobody dies of an, a, of an, of an ACL. Um, whereas with baseball, I mean, you, it would really be super terrifying if somebody was throwing a slick wet ball near your, near your head, mm-hmm. uh, at 90 miles an hour. And so I just think that that's probably why it has never been pushed. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why baseball is different. It's it almost, I would say that it is entirely because the pitcher can't be trusted to not kill a person. Yeah. That, that sounds right to me. And had there been, uh, are you aware of studies that have, that have been done to look at what happens to offense with with rainy conditions. I've seen a lot of stuff about wind, windy conditions, and uh, different time of day and all that sort of thing. But I can't. I mean, I, I guess when it's raining heavily, you just stop the game, so you can't really do that sort of study. Maybe. Uh, yeah, there's a lot on cold right. as well. Yeah, but temperature. It, I, I I I have found. Uh, I looked at this when I was doing the thing about stolen bases being down this year, which incidentally would be a pretty good thing to revisit. I should see if that's still true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what I found is that it's really hard to get good precipitation data because it's fairly blunt. It's uh, mm-hmm. you know like it's it 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 describes the region and it doesn't necessarily describe the you know what inning it's raining or anything like that. Yeah, so it's actually hard to get any the weather at first pitch or at some point during that day and yeah you can't pin down exactly when it starts raining yeah so you could probably i mean a, a decent proxy would probably be like the half inning before a rain delay but geez how many years would you need to get enough data for you know to to get anything from that mm-hmm. you- but my i mean my 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 feeling on it has always been that offense goes way down except that some pitchers uh, sometimes you see pitchers kind of struggle to throw strikes but basically offense goes way down has been has always been my feeling and um i don't know if that's true i don't know if, if that would ever be backed up but my my uh my gut from having seen a million innings played in rain is that uh nobody ever scores so would you if the reason that baseball has uh rain delays we're speculating is that pitchers lose control of pitches or could could potentially lose control of pitches then wouldn't that suggest the opposite? Well, no, because here's the thing: they get a new ball. They get a new ball so often that they're able to stay decently dry for a while. But they're not playing through seven innings of this. I mean, the, what this question presupposes is that they're going to. They they might play an entire game. And so if you threw if you got a new ball for every single pitch, you'd go through three or four hundred balls, right? So probably they wouldn't do that there'd be a, a little bit of a waterlog effect. And, you know, okay, their, their, yeah. hands, their hands would get wet or their gloves would get soaked. I mean, you hardly ever see a game played in rain long enough for everything to get completely soaked through. Yeah. Um, so it's never really been put to the stress test. Yes, that's true. You'd also have, uh, you'd also have defenders kind of sinking into the ground um, and not probably having the same range that they would under ideal circumstances. But... You'd also have slower yeah. runners, and yeah, uh, so you're probably right. I would, yeah, I, I would think that the that the wetter it got, the it would it would tilt toward the offense because uh, the defense would be a big thing. You'd see, I think you'd see a lot of uh, risk averse def- defense, and you know, also if the ball's starting to get waterlogged, you know, it, it's one thing for a pitcher who gets to set his grip in his glove, 
But if every fielder was picking up a completely drenched ball and having to throw it, you know, in the time it takes to, you know, throw a ball to first base or to, you know, from right field to home or whatever, I think you'd see a lot of balls going crazy directions too. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, My turn. Yes. All right. Uh, so Kevin says, uh, we were supposed to skip one of the ones that, that I said, but I uh, don't know. We didn't discuss which one to skip. So hopefully we weren't planning on skipping Kevin. Kevin says, if MLB ever decided knuckleballing was out of hand, here's how to stop it. Instead of trying to legislate what is or is not a, luck, a knuckleball, which seems impossible, just lower the height of the seams on game-used baseballs, making the pitch less effective and therefore less common. Parentheses, this would also reduce the effectiveness of curveballs and other breaking pitches, which should please our friend Travis from the forums. This is a reference, of course, to last week's show when we wondered what would happen if half the league was throwing knuckleballs and how the league would uh, would stop it. Um, so first off, uh, uh, Dan Brooks pointed out that you we actually have the data. You could just set a, a spin minimum, um, which makes perfect sense. I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me that it's 2013 and you could you could very easily say it has to spin 15 times or whatever uh although the tricky thing is how to how do you enforce that would you have you'd have to have a whole other umpire Mm -hmm. just to do that right Mm -hmm. i mean unless you have if you if you're already doing replay then it could be the video umpire but you would have to somehow have a way of of immediately uh noting that and that's not easy in the state of the game as it is now um and someone but, else pointed out that pitch effects doesn't actually record the spin so you'd need like trackman to do the radar yeah. thing yeah that guy was sure smug <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh no it was good he was right um uh but i wanted to read this question because it had never really occurred to me that uh mlb could manipulate the seams you always hear of these theories about them manipulating the core um, or whatever a juiced ball has manipulated. But the seam seems like a craftier, cleverer way to do it. And so uh, that's interesting. I don't, I'm not speculating that they've done it or that they would do it. It's an interesting idea. Uh, but I just wondered whether baseball would be more fun to watch with high seams or low seams. Uh, well, we like... We like movement, right? We like we do. pitches that, that look like wiffle ball pitches, uh, like you Darvish's slider or something. We enjoy it, that. It does seem like the movement is more enjoyable to watch than, than velocity. Yeah, I think so. So I'm pro high seams. Yes, so am I. Okay, that's all I wanted to answer <laughs> Kevin's question. But also I wanted to note that Kevin gave a good – That's a that's a – a good proposal if you ever wanted to kill the knuckleball. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, all right. Um, okay, this this question was uh, from Tom. Uh, while buying tickets to the 2014 opening day series in Sydney, I noticed on the seating plan that there was a scaled map of the field dimensions. Using my below average but still slightly useful engineering skills, I scaled the map off and found that the field has the following dimensions. Left field and right field, 320 feet, and 385 feet to center. <laughs> to me, this seemed ridiculously small for a ballpark, and checking my numbers, I found that this field will indeed be small. In fact, the distance to center field is potentially the smallest ever. Allowing for my scaling errors, it's about the same as the Reds-Crosby field, which was 387 to center. Uh, he also checked that the walls, we checked to see if the walls were high to compensate for this. Uh, it appears that they are not. So his question is, uh, how small does a ballpark have to get to be too small? 
at one point would Major League Baseball step in and say that the field dimensions are not suitable, either find a bigger ground or will take opening day to another country. Would a field like this be approved if it was to become a permanent facility in the major leagues or is MLB allowing it just for it's uh, just because it's for two games? And I, I uh, emailed a friend, uh, Drew Samuelson, who is uh, he works for the Australian Baseball Federation. He's a player development guy there uh, and does some international scouting and, and wrote something for BP about it. And he's never been to that stadium and his, but his understanding is that the, the field dimensions will be uh, ridiculously small, like the Dodgers reconversion of the LA Coliseum, which is kind of what I was thinking of. Um, well, I was, I was thinking of Puerto Rico. Remember Puerto Rico? Yes, right. Hiram B. Thorne. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so what do you think about that? It's interesting. It's it is interesting that when you leave major league, like when you leave America, it's probably hard to find reasonably sized parks because, mm-hmm. like, if you're not if you don't have like the super elite players, then major league dimensions are kind of like onerous when you think about it. Yeah, like there might not be a park in Australia big enough for a major league team because what there's no Australian players who could regularly hit the ball out of a major league park. Yeah, plus, right, and you don't need the same kind of seating capacity, so you can have a smaller place. Um, well, I mean, the answer is obvious that they should just raise the seams on the ball. <laughs> right, that's uh, the problem. What was the question specifically? Uh, at what point, I guess, uh, small becomes too small, or would this be allowed in the majors, uh, a park with these dimensions? Probably no to the latter, and on the former, I mean, I don't know. It's it's close enough. I mean, you're not going to – you just don't want to have balls that you feel like are hit poorly that are going out of the park. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are these are all going to be warning tracks. Any home run hit there is going to at least be a warning track uh, shot in a, in a real park, basically. Mm-hmm. And – uh, you know, you it's easier to hit it out. You'll you'll maybe see some some off balance swings go out or something like that. But basically, you're seeing deep fly balls that would be rewarded, and uh, it's gonna probably uh, yeah. I mean, it it won't bother me over the course of two days. Certainly, I'm I'm glad that he pointed this out. I didn't know this. It'll give me something to look for. Yeah, uh, you don't want you know, you don't want the game to feel cheap. I guess. Um... There have been parks throughout big league history where that was the case, where there was just a, a really short wall and you could, uh, and people there would have crazy stats um, at home, huge home road splits, and you could load up with certain types of players and really exploit that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about like 2000 Coors Field and, and how it kind of uh, made baseball feel like something other than baseball um, when it was kind of at its, at its height of scoring. So, uh, so you don't, you don't want that. I wonder if anybody, I mean, that's the first series of the year. And I feel like a lot of people when they're doing their fantasy drafts, like they're, they're way too focused on, <laughs> yeah, on the early. I mean, cause there's so many, especially cause so many leagues like public leagues, they just become abandoned by the end of, you know, April anyway. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how many people are going to be drafting for that, for that series. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could, uh, you should probably not, not stream starters who are pitching in that series. Uh, yeah, probably not. Um, all right. 
and I think this will be the last question because uh, two people asked it, actually, coincidentally, within six hours of each other. So uh, one of them was named Aaron, and the other was named Rob. And Rob says, if you could, uh, after listening to the discussion with Gabe Kapler, uh, he says, if you could redefine a box score to capture the results of a game, what would the line be for pitchers, batters, defense framing? Uh... Like what would you include? What would you what how what would you want in a box score? Uh if if they let you do it. Well, all right. I mean, you you have to keep it there's always an inclination to want more information, but the point of the box score is that it's very condensed and gives you just a a quick summary that you can take in with one one glance. Uh so you can't pack too much information in there. Um so I, I mean, you want you definitely want to know how many times a hitter came to the plate uh and you want to know how many times he got on base uh and uh i I guess maybe you'd want total bases in there would be something i'd like i mean i feel like the the pitcher line works okay right like i'm pretty yeah i'm pretty happy with the pitcher line in the in the traditional box score would you, well, would you, I mean, would you, for real estate purposes, would you just eliminate earn runs and just go with runs? Uh, sure. Yeah, I guess so. So if you did that, what would you put instead? Uh, does, does the traditional box, see, I, I, I almost forget now what like the newspaper box score looks like compared to kind of the, the online box score that sort of has more information sometimes. And like, if you look at, uh, if you look at game day or something, you'll see how many, how many pitches were thrown and how many pitches were strikes and how many of the batted balls were ground balls and all, all that sort of thing. Um, uh-huh. So I, I would I, want I, that yeah. in there. Yeah, I don't think that the ground balls is in a is in a newspaper right. box score. So I take that. Stri- strikes might be. I'm not sure. Yeah, so I I take I take a some sort of batted ball profile breakdown. Uh huh. Yeah, I would want to know. You know, they always put they they well. It, I also am now not sure whether I'm seeing this online on online box scores yeah. or, or not. But I instead of seeing pitches and then balls and strikes, I would rather see pitches and then strike percentage, which is the exact same data. But nobody can do the math in their head. <laughs> uh-huh. And I know what 70% strikes are. You know, like I, I know what that means. And so I would want a percentage of strikes for pitchers. Um, I'm a sucker for strikes, uh, for strike percentages for pitchers. Um, so I would like to see that. Um I would like to see, uh, yeah, plate appearances instead of at bats. Of mm-hmm. course, yes, would be helpful. Reached instead of hits would be helpful. Uh-huh. Um, total bases would be good. Um, I would like. I think it, it it might be interesting instead of RBIs because it like if it, okay. So if there's a sequence where you know, first batter gets a single, second batter gets a single, third batter gets a single. Well, the first batter gets a run on his on his mark, and the third batter gets an RBI on his mark. The second one just gets a hit. And so to try to kind of get what RBIs is doing, I might like to see how many – like I might – just for box scores, I might like to like have a statistic that is like a sort of a total total basis where you get credit not only for every – you know, for every uh, – uh, base that you propel yourself, mm-hmm. but also for every base that you propel another. So uh-huh. the guy who hits the single would get, you know, one one base for himself, and then two for driving the guy from 
first to third. So he'd, he'd have three total bases on that on that swing. If he did it with the bases loaded, you know, he'd get like seven or whatever. If he stole a base, he'd get a credit for a total base. If he maybe if he even went on a pass ball, and there, I mean, this is a that's a complete junk stat. It, it it's not it's not good for evaluative purposes. But I actually like the box score being kind of dumb and descriptive and not yeah. analytical. I mean, I, I remember like when I was yeah. Go ahead. I would want hits in there kind of you know just you would want hits separate from walks and and and, and hit by pitches just i, I mean wouldn't matter yeah, to me one i think bit. so because i okay. kind of want to be able to describe what happened in a way uh I, I mean walks is in there now we have walks uh and we have yeah but it's valuable real estate ben you could use that on something else you could that could yeah, be but, the well, win what probability it? well what it could be the win want? probability added column Okay. It would be nice. It would be nice to have a win probability added column. Yeah. You have to admit. Yeah, I would take that. Um, I, 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 I remember when I was a kid, probably um, reading something. I'm going to guess in Baseball Digest by I'll speculate Bob Costas. I don't know. Uh, in which he showed how you could figure out who the last batter of the game was in any game just by looking at the box score uh-huh. and i was like wow that's incredible there's like so much information embedded in a box score that i didn't even realize that like you could really recreate the game and i feel like that's the point of the box score the point of the box score is not to tell you who hit the ball the hardest um or you know who got necessarily who performed the best even so much as you know a score you have the score at the top of the game and now you're going to try to recreate it as much as possible it is to me the box score is not necessarily the place for sabermetrics now better data is better is always better than worse data so there are certain things that i would like to see um like for instance reached on base would be more important to me than having hits and walks and hit by pitch in three separate categories um although it is actually really nice to have hit by pitch because sometimes that tells you a story um as a separate category but um i'm thinking that i would like to have win probability added i like my sort of total 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 bases idea mm-hmm. replacing rbis um and i wish there was a way to uh, note which run each player scored. Not that he scored, but which run he scored. Uh-huh. Um, but that probably isn't really realistic unless you got very graphic with things. Yeah. Well, that sounds. Yeah. I guess that's the that's the uh, impetus behind maybe game winning RBI or something. Just so you know the sequence of events, sort of, or or what the important run was, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 But it, uh, would you guess in, I don't know, so let's say 16 years, 16 years from now, 2029, would you guess that win probability added will be in the newspaper box score? Uh, will there be newspapers? Will there, will there be box scores? Um, let's, let's say just, uh, uh you know, the Yahoo box score, uh-huh. the, sort of the, the mainstream. Uh, yeah, I, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah probably it's it's too good not to i mean it feels like the sort of thing that's fairly relatable once you you know get past the explanation and you know it's it's a fun stat it's a fun thing so my mm-hmm. guess is it'll be there too mm-hmm. all right end of the show uh do you want to do that wins question that'll take like 10 seconds sure go ahead okay uh this is from zach in fort collins colorado 
Uh, he says, I was reading a biography of Babe Ruth the other day by Robert Creamer, published 1974, and encountered this assessment of pitching value. Baseball students say that a man who wins 10 games more than he loses in a season is an exceptional pitcher. The Red Sox had four plus 10 pitchers in 1915 and a fifth plus eight, et cetera, et cetera. I've never seen this way of assessing pitcher value before. Certainly not on sites like BP, which is pretty down on using wins to value pitching. What I wonder, though, is whether it is reasonable to use wins as a way to value pitchers from this earlier era when pitchers routinely pitch complete games. For example, Ruth had two seasons during his early 20s when he threw over 320 innings on the leaderboard of starting pitchers in 1918. Almost all of the pitchers had at least 10 complete games. Most had more than 20, and several had more than 30. So for an era unlike ours, when pitchers usually threw complete games, can win be the useful value for a pitcher as most mainstream outlets still seem to use them? No. Uh, more useful. No. More useful, yeah. I mean, uh, you. I mean, given the choice, you'd rather know how many runs the guy gave up than whether his team won. Uh, just yeah. from an analytical perspective. So not not useful given how easy it is to find out how many runs he gave up. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm on record somewhere in the 249 episodes before this as kind of liking the idea of the win if it were just assigned to the starting pitcher regardless of you know the five innings and whether he was in there when they took the lead. Like To me, there's something kind of like uh, interesting about just knowing like whether his team won when he pitched. It's not particularly useful, but it's interesting. It's something that I think is worth recording, if not making decisions on. And of course, the more role, the, the larger the role that the pitcher has in the game, the 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 kind of closer you get to that actually meaning something. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I like it as a descriptive uh, stat in that case. And mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, but I mean, still, it's it's just it's just that there's such simpler, easier ways to do it. So yeah. probably even still not Con- then. conflating team wins and individual player wins just seems like a concept that doesn't make that much sense. But not yeah, not a lot. But Brian Kenny calls calls the win in an eighteen eighties accounting practice just because at the time it kind of made a little more sense in that the pitcher probably pitched the entire game and had And also was seven ninths of the offense at the time. He actually right. batted seven times for every <laughs> yeah. two of his teammates batting. Yes, exactly. Uh okay, that's the show. A lot of people don't know that, Ben. Yeah, well, we are we're educated. A lot of people like listeners. if you asked if you asked everybody that almost nobody would tell you that. That's how few people know it. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, some of those early early rule, rule changes were really uh, quite surprising. Very few people would tell you that. All right. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>